your assets and what you're going to have to sell at whenever you're ready to exit is going to be intangible. And the only way to document that is to make sure you have, you know, actual written documentation in place. And so the longer that you go along without having those pieces in place, that all those things are like poof, you know? So once you start and get a process in place, it's not that complicated. You've got one and, and then you will be building something for the future. Welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I'm serial entrepreneur and investor, Emmy Kirshner. And I'm known for sprinkling just a little bit of glitter throughout the streets of Philadelphia and on the stages that I speak while I help creative entrepreneurs stop struggling as the overworked admin in their business and become the CEO of their multi-six and seven-figure businesses. What has fascinated me over the years are the stories of success and failure that courageous entrepreneurs who have put it all on the line face as they change lives, disrupt industries, and become incredible leaders themselves. So if you're looking for a community of engaged entrepreneurs and you'd love to get some resources and tools that can help you fast track your business, I invite you to join the Tribe of Leaders Facebook group. The link is in the show notes if you want to connect with us. And of course, the group is free to join. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am super excited, as I am every week, to host an incredible guest. Erin Austin is a consultant and a lawyer who combines her 25 plus years of practicing law, including roles as a COO and general counsel at IP-driven companies to help founders of expertise-based firms build and protect saleable assets so that the business is ready to sell when the founder is ready to exit. Erin's special talent is finding the Rembrandt in the attic, that hidden and often overlooked asset that can be leveraged for maximum value. Erin, welcome to the show. And I'm so excited because I think most founders and most people don't know what they have. Like they just create the stuff and they don't understand or recognize the value because this is their zone of genius. Is that true? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Emmy. Absolutely. You know, I work specialized with working with service-based businesses and they're just busy doing the work. You know, a lot of them are entrepreneurs. Some may have a team as well, but your value is seen in your expertise. But at the end of the day, that cumulative knowledge that you have has separate value other than just you kind of putting in the work, you know, billing hours or however you, you um, bill your clients. And so, yeah, I mean, very few service-based businesses think about assets. Occasionally, they'll think about intellectual property, and that certainly is an asset. But I think they it's like kind of abstract a little bit. And they think assets are like inventory and, you know, business equipment and things like that. And I like to, yeah, make sure they understand that there's all sorts of types of value and assets that are in their business, um, you know, such as, you know, frameworks or, you know, any kind of, you know, custom processes or dashboards and things like that. Right. So, you know, so, yeah, so it's been, you know, a process for me helping educate people about assets are everywhere. I think I have a, a series on LinkedIn recently called Assets Are Everywhere. So help them kind of see there's, there are assets everywhere. There, there are. And 
But your knowledge base as the founder and the way your process of managing, creating results for your clients is a -a one-of-a-kind thing. So how do you help people take that and get the business ready to sell? Well, there's a couple of things. When acquirers are looking at businesses, Mm -hmm. what they want is the future of the business. You know, they can look and see, okay, you have this revenue, let's say you make $500,000 a year through client work. But what happens when they buy it from you? Like what will be transferred to them? So unless you're going with them, and I think that if you want to sell your business, you don't want to go with them. So what part of your business do you have that will be transferable? And I call that saleable, that it has a a value to a third party. And in order to have something that's saleable, you need to have processes in place that allows someone to continue to do that work without you. So whether it is, you know, kind of systematizing it or uh, building a team that can do it without you or, you know, creating some sort of product out of it or some sort of training or certification program out of it. So, and the thing that, you know, acquirers love, of course, is, you know, recurring revenue. And so when when I'm talking to service-based businesses, we're looking at what they're already doing, what they already have. And figuring out where are those pieces that are already assets that we just need to, you know, clean them up and polish them up. Or where do you maybe not have any assets because you're literally just billing by the hour and not creating process behind these things. And then we create those things. So, yeah. So that's kind of step one of making sure we have something that can be sold at the end of the day. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I want to back up a little bit. And how did you come into this line of work and not just from your entrepreneurial journey, but even coming up through corporate and being a lawyer, this isn't the normal, I don't want to say normal, but the, the, the usual path most people take. Yeah, well, it's not. And, uh, you know, it's not like I wasn't doing the other thing for a while. I was. <laughs> but um, I, I will say, you know, this pivot has been kind of percolating. And it really was, you know, when I realized, you know, within the last five years, uh, kind of, you know, how much influence the few have. And I wanted to figure out, like, what can I do to use the experience that I have to help the economy work for more people? And it was a struggle for me because I've always worked with very big companies. Like, what do I have that can help, you know, kind of that's help a broader base of people? And, um, And it took me a while. But I really finally kind of landed on and has resonated with, you know, my clients and and with uh, my audience, you know, helping service-based businesses because their assets are intellectual property. Mm -hmm. And so we're still talking about about those types of assets and helping them make sure that they have businesses that can be sold. And the reason I like working with service-based businesses is because there are so many solopreneurs in that area. A lot of them are women. A lot of us, and I'm one of those, you know, who started their business because, you know, from big business to starting my own firm, it was a lifestyle choice at the beginning, you know, and it was an income generator and it was a very good income generator. But what happened recently um, with the pandemic is that I realized, okay, I've got this great income generator, but if I stop working, it goes away. I have not actually, I call it my business, but have I actually built a business if it doesn't run without me. And so I'm like, that is how I can help other women entrepreneurs, you know, make sure they're building businesses that survive without them, that they can sell someday, 
Therefore, that can be a source of wealth for their families. And when we have, I mean, at the end of the day, wealth is helps mm-hmm. us have a greater impact and have greater influence. So it kind of, you know, helps me help myself and help them. So that's okay. why I'm really excited about it. Yeah. And what was your decision-making process in deciding to be a consultant as opposed to just opening up your own law firm? Well, I've had the, the firm. So, and uh, so the consulting piece is being a lawyer is very reactive, right? So someone comes to you, I have a problem, solve my problem, you know, like do this thing. And with the consulting piece, I kind of can take a little step higher and help them kind of see their business a different way and have put long-term pieces in place. You know, there is the business piece because I was in-house for most of my career as well. And so I also have the executive experience to help them, you know, kind of look at the bottom line pieces as well. And how do you, you know, working with intellectual property, working with uh, service-based service contracts all these years and seeing that, you know, the parallels of, you know, making sure you have these pieces in place because those are also those things that acquirers are going to be looking for. So it really was, you know, kind of, it was just kind of a natural evolution from working with, you know, big IP-driven companies to what are essentially small IP-driven companies. And what do you see as being one of the biggest mistakes that service businesses make? Yeah, you know, it still surprises me that many service-based businesses don't use contracts. I mean, that's what I do all day, every day is <laughs> contracts. So I just assume I everybody else does. I, I just right. assume, don't tell me that you use them. Just <laughs> Oh, no, I do. I do. Okay. And, and that's why I'm laughing because... <laughs> I know so many entrepreneurs who don't, and they just think everything's going to go fine. And yeah. it's almost like an, an avoidance. Right. Yeah. And maybe, you know, you experience something differently, but I'm like, it is so much easier to get the stuff out in the beginning. You don't need to have something super complex. Right. It's about communication. Right. One of the way of looking at a contract is that it's like a relationship manual. Like it just yeah. tells you like how, what's going to happen. So you know, it makes it, it does, it makes everything easier. Like this is how we communicate. This is, you know, who's responsible for what, this is what we'll do if we, there's, if, you know, we need to resolve anything, you know, they're great things. But one of the things that people who don't use contracts think is that, well, I know they're going to pay me. Like I know whatever. It's not just about getting paid. I mean, getting paid is very important, but I mean, you don't even, but you know, you don't want to have to sue people to get paid, but yes, that's important. But when you are service-based, your assets, again, are intellectual. And if you don't have a contract, then you aren't acquiring rights in that in, those intellectual assets. And so I will tell you a story of a, a, he's a web designer and he did not have contract in place with a subcontractor. So he had a contract in place with his client and the client paid him lots of money to build this website for him. He hires a subcontractor who did like some piece of it and he did not have a contract in place with them. And so because he didn't have one, he didn't have all the rights in what the subcontractor did. And so then the client's like, you know, give me all the rights. And he's like, oh, but, you know, and so he had to go back to subcontractor. Subcontractor was like, no. And so he literally had to renegotiate with the client. Client was unhappy because they didn't get 100% ownership of what they thought they were getting. So. There are many reasons to have them, but the main one, frankly, is to make sure that you own what you need to own 
And it, you know, it has, and that's kind of goes back to, you know, whether or not you have an asset that can be sold at the end of the day. If you have been using uh, contractors that are creating parts of your business for you and you don't have an agreement in place, those assets you don't own, and then you can't sell them to a third party. So the contracts don't need to be complicated. I mean, they really don't, you know, just because, I mean, we've all seen the treatises that big companies send. I've written a few myself and, you know, but you know, you don't have to use that in your business. You can have something very simple. No, I mean, I have contracts for my clients when we start working together and it's really, I used to use this really complex 20 page document. It was very overwhelming. It didn't say anything that was like earth shatteringly brilliant. And now I have, I think it's two pages, Mm -hmm. including, you know, the, essentially the, this is what you're getting. Like these are the the bulleted things. And it's so much more clear and I have far fewer problems with people because a lot of people don't read them either. So now they know what they're getting, what to expect, and what their obligations are to fulfill in their part. And it's, it's just so much easier. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I will confess that, you know, lawyers probably have some guilt in, uh, you know, dissuading people from using contracts because they think they are going to be long and complicated. And I, I like this story where I was um, negotiating a deal with the other side and they sent this massive contract. and. And I'm like, you know, no, you know, I sent back a much simpler one. This is all, and he's like, well, can we just use my contract? And I'm like, why? And he's like, because mine's longer. <laughs> like, you didn't actually have anything in particular. Like, no, <laughs> like this covers everything we need to cover. We don't need. To. And so, yeah, it doesn't need to be complicated. It absolutely can be simple. And, and so, yeah, I don't want that to discourage people. from. Yeah. And it's a communication tool. Yes, absolutely. Like absolutely. That's, that's for me, is all it is. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's so funny that I'm not the only one that experiences that contracts and people being really afraid of them almost. Yeah. And, and I think they worry that there's going to be some legalese in there that they don't understand. And uh, again, you know, assuming they're not overly you know, complex because of very complicated services, it's all English and you should be able to. For you, like moving into leadership, what does that look like as you're growing your business? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I look at leadership as, you know, having a clarity of vision and being able to build a team around it who shares that vision. And so for me, as I start building out my team, like I'm going to start with my why. And my why is to help build an economy that works for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so I want to have other people who kind of join me in, in that mission. And so it has been a process for me to kind of become that leader. I have a tendency to just like people <laughs> and, you know, which is, a, I think it's a good thing, but I'm not sure it's always serves me. And, and I can just, I just like this person. So I'll engage them and they may or may not kind of believe in my vision. Although I think it's kind of a pretty good one, but, but, you know, but it really does matter. And, or that maybe I haven't effectively communicated it to them. And so, you know, I've been, been blessed with working with some you know, very strong leaders, very smart people, very generous people. And I want to be one of those for my team as I build it. So yeah, I mean, it's an exciting and a little bit scary part of the growing process, but yeah, but I'm looking forward, forward to that, having like that community of all working together to yeah. you know, impact. How do you get buy-in in the why or the mission statement? 
Well, it, with, with the, the team or with clients? or Both. Let's go with both. Yeah. Well, with clients, it's, I tend to focus on female founders and they all go, oh, you know, when I talk about, you know, here's the thing, you know, women do better things with their wealth than men do. You know, we, we talk yeah. about Mackenzie Sky, you know, and that she, you know, funds, you know, education and, and healthcare and things like that. And her ex, you know, maybe goes to this, to, you know, space with his, but it happens on a much smaller scale as well. You know, women will have less money and they'll give more of it away. They take care of their families in ways, in different ways, their communities or churches, things like that. And so it's just important to me to work with women to help them achieve this. And that, and that almost all of them go, you know, even if they never thought about it in that way, like, yeah, you're right. You know? And so, yeah, I've had, uh, I've not had problems with, you know, even men, you know, are like, yeah, yeah, you're right. (laughs) And so I I have not uh, had, had uh, anyone push back uh, for me on, with me on that and building my team. It will be similar of kind of make it having the same message and, uh, and seeing, you know, where they are with it and making sure that, you know, we keep that in mind as we make decisions, like, you know, what we're going to do next types of messaging we're sending that is consistent with that message so that we really feel like, you know, we're all speaking with one voice. Which I think is so important. I kind of liken team building and leadership to being a parent. And, and for me, just as a single mom, it was really about getting my kids to opt in and for us to work as a team. So everybody kind of had each other's back and, and nobody was doing anyone like chore and air mm-hmm. chores, you know, at, you know, all at the same time or mm-hmm. nobody was responsible for everything. And of course it changed as they were, you know, younger and then older, but that buy-in of like, this is why we're doing this. Mm-hmm is so crucial. It's the same thing when you're building great teams. Yeah, I, I love that. I hadn't thought about that uh, w- within the family. I, I'm a mother of one and I always tell him, you know, everything matters. Like it's not just us, them, like, you know, the environment, like that was happening in, you know, South America or on the West Coast now. It all, you know, it matters. It all counts. It right. affects all of us. So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What would be one piece of advice that you would give um, a service-based business? Like what's the one, one or two most important things? Yeah. I mean, I think, after. you know, what, what people will sometimes ask is like, well, I'm not ready to sell my business now. Is it too early? And what I would say, and my number one piece of advice is that it's never too early to start thinking about your exit plan. You know, again, you know, your assets and what you're going to have to sell at whenever you're ready to exit is going to be intangible. And the only way to document that is to make sure you have, you know, actual written documentation in place. And so the longer that you go along without having those pieces in place, that all those things are like, poof, you know? So once you start and get a process in place, it's not that complicated. You've got one and, and then you will be building something for the future. And, uh, you know, it's far easier to put something in place now and keep it clean. And so that when you're ready to go, that you don't have this massive fire drill, like what people get in trouble is when there's this massive fire drill at the end to try to figure out how to clean up the books so that they're presentable to a, a potential acquirer. And sometimes acquirers will come to you without, you know, you being on the market. When you have a strategic buyer, which is the most likely buyer for a service-based business. So let's say, you know, you are a graphic designer 
and that there is an advertising agency that's been, you know, you know, one of your clients. But and meanwhile, they're sitting there in house talking about, you know, we really want to add graphic design as an in-house capability. They sit down, they make a list of graphic design firms that they might be interested in buying. You're on the short list. And then they come to you and you've got nothing in place. Like you've immediately removed yourself from that opportunity. And you could have been, you know, ahead of the game. You could have been, you know, if you're the only one who's ready, then, you know, that makes you like, okay, I know I can close these people. I know they have something to sell me. And that, you know, makes you look better and, and increases the value of your business. So, yeah, I mean, I, I want service-based businesses to, to start thinking about kind of developing assets and thinking about what will I have to sell uh, at the end of the day. And, you know, one of the benefits is that the same things that you do to prepare for sale are the same things that help you build leverage in your business today, like putting processes in place and things like being able right. to, you know, delegate and things like that. So, yeah, so it's not just a long-term play. It's also a short-term play. At what point should uh, a founder or entrepreneur start thinking, like in what stage of business should they start thinking about their exit strategy? I'm curious if your answer is different than mine. Well, I mean, at the beginning, of course, you know, most because, yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's all about the processes, right? And they, the sooner we get those in place, the better off we will be the more profitable we will be. And I can't say that I did this. I mean, I wish I had. I, you know, I, I have, you know, certain types of agreements that I review all the time, like master services agreements, like review, uh, you know, for my clients who are getting them from, you know, very large companies. And so these are, you know, books that they're getting. And before I, you know, and I would review each of them individually <laughs> until I finally like, well, let me put together a thing that just shows like, these are all the things I know I don't want to see in there. And these are all things I've got to see in there. And then, you know, then there's always that, the variables, but just like, you know, that's a little less time and bandwidth. And, and then if I were to um, train someone to do that, that would be that much easier. So, yeah. So really as soon as possible. <laughs> as soon as possible. Exactly right. Exactly right. And that, I mean, from a process standpoint, that's where I see the gap with entrepreneurs and their inability to scale. Mm -hmm. Is that they stay stuck in that kind of employee mindset mode. Absolutely. And that I've got to do everything myself. Whether they don't have process, they're not delegating, they're not bringing people on to be able to take on more work, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah, and they, I mean, yeah, I mean, we all, many of us who, you know, kind of leave corporate and kind of set something up at the beginning. A lot of times our, you know, our first client is our former employer. So it's super easy. And then it builds from there. You kind of have that kind of mindset as you're building your business. And it takes a shift really to kind of start thinking about it. It's just not me providing services, but it's building a business. And, you know, and part of, you know, also why you want to think about these things from the beginning is that it also decreases your risk, you know, depending on the nature of the business that you do, you know, the more process that you have, the fewer kind of errors that can creep in. And so we want to, you know, and obviously the enemy of, you know, value, either profit, profit wise or sale wise is, you know, risk. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You have a really cool checklist on your website that I believe you're going to make available to our listeners. And it's called, is there a Rembrandt in your attic, right? Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about that? Yes, it is. The Rembrandt in the attic is a reference to almost like, you know, kind of the, the uh, Antiques Roadshow. Like, you know, you don't quite know, you know, you've got some assets, but, you know, 
or do they have any value? And so a lot of times, you know, service-based businesses don't even think about what they may have in their business. So this checklist is, you know, a number of things that you may not think of assets, but that actually are and that could have some value. And so it helps you kind of think about different areas where um, you might want to you know, put more attention, put protections in place to put some processes around because they could be, you know, a source of real value in the future. So I'd love to share that with, with your audience and, and uh, see what they think. And they yeah, absolutely. It sounds like fun because yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's a gajillion things that people aren't thinking of that once they go through the checklist, it's going to be like, oh, look at all this value. Yes. Look at everything that I actually offer. That, yes. That, yeah, I mean, you know, I like to say people, people definitely say, what assets could I possibly have? If you have been you know, doing work that is complex or creative, I guarantee you probably have some assets in there that, that you're not thinking about. You know? yeah. I mean, really, unless you're literally just an order taker, in which case you may not. But if you're doing stuff that is you know, creative or complex, you should. Awesome. Awesome. And it's on your website. So share with everybody what the website is. Yeah, it's uh, thinkbeyondip.com. And uh, yeah, pretty easy to sign up, find it. So there's a banner on there for you to sign up and, uh, and then and get that. And there are also some other uh, freebies that you'll find as well if, if uh, you want to look around. Awesome. Erin, where else can people connect with you? Uh, I spend most of my time on LinkedIn. And I've been on there so long that I'm the original Aaron Austin. So just look up Aaron Austin on LinkedIn and you'll, you'll find me. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on today. It's been really cool to get to know you and learn more about why we need contracts. Um, so important, but you know, really that some of the things that I think people, as I've said, aren't thinking about are really valuable and are assets to our business. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. And to everybody who's listening, we will see you next week. Thank you so much for being a listener of the Tribe of Leaders podcast. I am so grateful for each and every episode that you tune in and listen to. And I hope that you get a ton of value that you can implement starting today. And I do have just a quick favor. If you wouldn't mind hopping on to wherever it is that you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review, it would help us tremendously so that the Tribe of Leaders podcast can be found more easily and help inspire other entrepreneurial leaders. 